so uh, greetings, everybody. What I'm going to do today is uh, we're not we're not actually going to talk about the Torah portion. I wanna I wanna reflect on um, the message I sent out. Um, uh, somebody's not muted, so we're hearing background conversation. But I do want this to be a conversation. So um, uh, I'll tell you about the Torah portion, but then I'm going to, I'm not going to go in that direction. I just did not, I, I was not uh, on that channel at all today. Um, the Torah portion is called Titzaveh. And Titzaveh, it continues the instructions that Moses is receiving on the temp, on the mountain from Mount Sinai on how to outfit Aaron, his brother with an incredible array of sacred garments, symbolic garments that make him both uh, to give him beauty and splendor and, uh, but also to symbolize himself by wearing these vestments, he becomes the symbolic representative of the entire people when he goes into the inner sanctum and meets the presence of God. So it's a beautiful portion. And maybe, maybe we'll spend a little time on it later, but it was much more pressing for me to wanna to talk to you both about what, what's going on here at the synagogue, uh, so you know, and also talk about the, the lessons I've been contemplating uh, that I wrote about yesterday and sent out that some of you may have, may have read. Uh, so the synagogue, uh, a, a pipe froze and then it burst. And so the whole front of the building got flooded. Um, and so then you have to call in the, um, the disaster people and they come in in order, you know, just to make sure that you have your insurance claim covered. And so water has seeped under the carpets into the, you know, under the baseboards, blah, blah, blah. So all of these people he are here. I'm back in a classroom, which was not affected. And all the offices, the carpets are ripped up. Every single book, they're very diligent. They box up the books, they label them. The back classroom here has like mountains of boxes <laughs> in it. <laughs> They pull the bookshelves away from the walls so that they can get to the baseboards and open them up. Uh, the, the flooring in the sanctuary, the rear end of the sanctuary and social hall, there's water under those. So they have to pull all those planks up. It's the tiles, there's water under the tiles that is gonna have to be, oh my God. None of it is, um, none of it is a, is a tragedy. Uh, it's all going to get fixed. I gather, unless our insurance company are jerks, it's all covered by insurance. And um, it's all so um, destabilizing. It's like, I'm just like, I feel like I'm in a daze, you know? And um, that's what I'm experiencing right now. It's, uh, I can handle it. Um, but but coming out of the ice storm and 
having no power at my house for many days and um, no power at the synagogue and, 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 and. Um, so, so, the, so the synagogue's okay, but it's a complete mess here. <laughs> and, and we relocated our office work back to the classrooms back here, which are fine. And I do want to crow that, you know, I, I think I told you, many of you, that I spent my winter vacation doing this massive deep cleaning of the synagogue. I filled the dumpster one and a half times and buckets of recycling. And, and I realized if I hadn't done that, then all this crap that was sitting on the floors, tucked under tables and everywhere would all be soaked now. So somehow, my uh, intervention was timely, and that's good. Uh, so, so that's what's going on here. Um, what I wrote about, and what I want to talk with you about, and I want to hear from you about, I want to have a conversation about this, um, is I wrote about how the pandemic adjustments that we've all made followed by this ice storm in Ulster County. And if you're not in Ulster County, I think you're lucky. Um, followed by the ice storm that we just experienced. Um, made me think about, which is that the big challenge of the pandemic, the biggest challenge of the pandemic for me was to give up my plans, right? To really not just give, not just give them up grudgingly, just let them go. Okay, I don't get to do this. I can't plan a trip. I don't know when I'm gonna do this. I don't, blah, 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 blah. We're not meeting in person anymore. Okay, we're meeting online. Okay, okay, okay. And it's actually been um, really important and invigorating for me to roll with it. Okay, we're gonna make the most of Zoom, you know? Okay, um, I'm gonna uh, do my walks and my bike rides just from home. I'm not gonna, okay, I'm, you know, and there are disappointments, but I, I really, I'm really been happy with the way I've managed to adjust, you know? And um, it's been a good learning that I can live with a more, a more constrained reality. And that becomes a beautiful spiritual practice, a life practice for me to deal with, to adjust to constraints. Not that I want to, but it's not in my control. So I can rail against the world in that regard, or I can accept what's out of my control and make the most of what I got. And that's been really great for me in the pandemic. Um, and uh, I also am acutely aware of the fact that I had both my house and when I didn't wanna be home, I had my office and this beautiful building, basically all to myself the last couple of years in many ways. I did not take that for granted. I may have told you, I actually turned one of the classrooms into my gym and uh, I've used it a lot. 
And so I've been aware that I have a place to go. I know a lot of people who didn't even have a place to go. Um, and uh, I've been very aware, both for you know the benefit of my marriage and many other things, that I had a place to go, um, a place that I like. This building is a really beautiful place to be. So I've been very grateful for that all along. And so my axis of life is the five miles between the synagogue and the house, basically. I don't go anywhere, I haven't gone anywhere else except on rarest occasion. And um, okay. And then the ice storm hits. And not only can't I go anywhere, but I'm like dealing with a catastrophe at my house. And fortunately, we have some backup power, not a lot. We have we have a solar panels and a solar battery, which didn't perform as well as I'd hoped because the panels had trouble recharging because they were covered with ice. They were like, it was really hard to get the ice off the panels. So they couldn't do their job, blah, blah, blah. It was a perfect storm in that regard for uh, all my best laid plans. We have an excellent fireplace with a metal insert that radiates a lot of heat. Our neighbor has a pet snake, I kid you not, and the snake was going to die. And so they came over, came over with his snake, which lived in a box next to our fireplace. And um, our, my daughter was house pet sitting for our cousins and their house was out of power. So the pets had to come over. <laughs> to our house and my daughter was there and her boyfriend was there and we all managed you know we managed um and as i wrote um my life became even more constrained and i realized that the lessons i'd been working on in the pandemic i had to keep working on to accept the limitations that were placed on me. And as I wrote, I don't think I get a very high grade for the last week or so for that attitude adjustment. But what I knew was that's where I had to go, you know? And I felt that was really important. And, and thank you all for listening. I hope, I hope this is worthwhile for you. What I didn't write about that I wanted to extend this to is when I read the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande a few years ago. Again, if you haven't read it, I recommend it to everyone. It's called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, G-A-W-A-N-D-E. Um, after his father, who was an incredibly vibrant man, became old and started to decline. Atul Gawande, who's an MD, he writes to the New Yorker, he's a surgeon. He, he was thrust into the world of very old age um, and decided after doing everything, after, I'm sure I don't have to tell you what a crazy system we have in this country where first maybe you go to uh, 
assisted living. But then once you're done with assisted living, they can't take care of you anymore. You have to find a nursing home, you know, and then and on and on. What a crazy system we have. And one of Atul Gawande's takeaways is he studied other models for how to age and get near the end of your life without, without all of this incredible dehumanizing institutions, institutional structure, is that all the evidence shows that the folks who can who are successful in um, aging gracefully, as it were, are the ones who can continue to have a feeling of agency in their lives. Meaning that even if they're stuck in a room and they're not mobile anymore, they get to, they have a plant they take care of or some people they communicate with. Or, or, and they've also, and this becomes the greatest challenge for all of us, have accepted their limitations. I don't know if you read the series that just concluded in the New York Times where a reporter covered seven very old New Yorkers for the last couple of years, several years of their lives to explore what it was that allowed them to keep feeling like their life had value and purpose. And it was always a combination of this ability to accept their limitations, but also a community, a communal structure that allowed them to feel like they still matter, like they, there was still a purpose to their being. And, you know, every one of us is or will experience this diminution, if we live long enough, of our capacity, our, you know, we're not going on that big trip anymore. We're not even going there. We're sitting in our chair a lot, whatever it is. And so it felt to me like I've been thinking a lot about how the lesson, what I want to, that these lessons also that I've been working on also pertain in the most direct way to how I want to grow old. Um, in Atul Gawande's book, it's fascinating. Um, he studies the models that work, that keep, give people a sense of agency. And they're so simple. I mean, of course, there's the extended family if it was intact where you continue to live, be honored, be taken care of, have interactions with the people you love. But that's, that's rare in our society. Uh, however, there are nursing homes here and there, which are set up like homes, where everyone has their own room, where meals aren't served on a schedule, you can go in the kitchen and get your food, where you're taking care of the place with, and there's someone who's there. So it's a constructed family. And there are these nursing home models in Scandinavia that you might've heard about where they set them up in preschools because the kids don't care if you're sitting in a wheelchair, right? And, oh, Rabbi Ellen, 
One of the places Dr. Wanda visited is the continuing care community in Canton, Mass, where my mother's been living for the last 10 years. Positive place, huh? You unmute um, yourself. Yes, very, very positive. I'm, I, I mean, eternally, every time we go to see the vibrancy and the friendships and the community and the, uh, the people who live in a, they don't, they call it enhanced living now, not assisted living. Um, once they have their help in the morning to get up and get dressed, when it's not, when they're not being isolated because of, of COVID, they come downstairs and they have meals and go to the library and do whatever and see their friends. Um, so many people with walkers and doesn't slow anybody down. They're, they're there for everything, for, act, for exercise, for uh, swimming, for uh, lectures lectures and and cultural events they do movies live entertainment it's mm -hmm. it's a really good place i'm so glad i'm so glad um the um the other thing that gawande points out about how to so a, a, a nursing facility an old age facility with a preschool the kids are there why not they sit in laps they're happy to hang out with anybody who can respond to them. It's like, duh, right? But because of the way our society is set up for institutional benefit rather than and, and profit rather than you know, relationships, we know what the problems are. The other thing that I learned from that is that people, uh, uh, folks who finally are determined to go on to hospice care as opposed to the regimen of nursing home care, actually lived longer than their counterparts and were happy because the hospice workers were there to be with them and to accompany them in their days. And so all of this, of course, becomes ob is obvious to anyone that it's all about relationships, right? But the book was very important to me to read. And um, it feels like all the lessons I want to learn in life are to prepare me for the end of my life so that I can, um, with the awareness that my life is going to shrink, my parameters of what I can do, all of that, and to do that, accept that without giving up on the ability to savor each day, the ability to look for the good, the ability to connect with people, all of those beautiful qualities and the ability to dwell in the moment. Um, let's see, what did, uh, what did Ruth Hirsch Is this for us, Ruth? Hi, Jonathan. I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to hit send yet. Some of us of our generation have spent time on retreat, mm -hmm. right? And so I just was having this conversation with somebody who's in a long-term care facility that some days that person can feel like they're at an ashram. 
The oh. rejuvenation doesn't have to be dark, right? It can be. Here we, I remember hearing Ramdas say this many years ago for the prison, prison ashram project, that if when in the course of meditation, people in prison would turn a corner and instead of prison, they'd be in the ashram on the inner. Ah, yes. On the inner, because in the ashram, you get up at this, it's very regimented, it's very structured. Right. So that's a different way to a, another you. perspective that some of us have already had in life. Thank you. I also wanted to share that I have been blessed in my life, unbelievable, with vibrant health and with opportunities. Like, and, and yet, and so I could be very, um, I mean, I've had it really good. And I could be very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I could assume that that's just, hey, that's how things are, right? And then get completely knocked off my horse the first time I get waylaid. And that's what I don't want to do. I want to be aware that this is going to happen. And I know folks, plenty, some of us here, who've had to deal with this, with the limitations of physical uh, difficulties uh, and, and limitations of pain, of um, financial constraints, where you have to practice way sooner than I have had to. Do you know what I mean? And um, if we can take our suffering, it, I have, no, I have no idea why we, each of us gets dealt the hand we get dealt. No idea. But for anyone who can take their suffering and turn it into that spiritual kind of capital, um, because there are plenty of people who, don't, who are already beset with constraints long before they get old. Um, and I consider that to... So, so all I'm saying is... is, is I'm aware of that, and I feel I feel a lot of humility and also just dumb luck, you know. Um, and um, and the pandemic has been a great equalizer in a certain way for those of us willing to learn its lessons. Um, uh, yeah, it's like after nine eleven uh, happened. And many Israelis say, okay, now you know what we live with all the time. Uh, you know, um, uh, or as I'm learning from you know, my daughters, especially um, how, uh, and from my African-American friends um, who say, you know, when the who's we white man conversations come up and we say, God, the future's so uncertain. We don't know, if, we don't know what's gonna happen in the, my black friends say, uh-huh, welcome to our world. Um, so I guess in a way I wanna be humbled um, as much as I wanna have all my opportunities and privileges, you know, I don't wanna lose them, but I wanna be humbled. And I want day to day to remember that 
nothing's a given and that my office is all ripped up and my books are put away and I can't find anything and I'm in a classroom and it sucks and it's okay. You know, that's, so I didn't have anything else to talk about. This is, and so I'm basically using you as, as with gratitude to share these thoughts out loud. And now I'd love to hear um, anything anybody wants to say in real, that, that, that might've come up for you. Just raise your hand or unmute yourself and go for it. Yes, Leah. By the way, Leah, how old are you now? Hold on. Wait, you still need How old? Can you hear me? Yes. Well, in four months, I'm going to be 93. And that's the way I feel. And you know, I do not take a day or a minute for granted because you don't know what's growing inside your body. I was very sick a few years ago and in taking x-rays, they found that I had a cancer somewhere in my lung that was in, in situ, I think. That means it's not moving. And for a few months, maybe only, the doctor wanted me to have a, you know, a CAT scan every three months to see. But the, um, but the um, operation to fix it would be so complicated. I would be, I would be, I would not have my life. I would be an invalid for years. And that I had had two, two little operations. So I said to the doctor, oh, we're gonna go ahead and operate. My daughter was with me. She said, are you crazy? You know, it's inside you. So I don't think about it. It's, I don't go anymore. I went maybe once and that was three years ago because if it's moving, <laughs> they have to do some operation that's gonna destroy my life. And a friend of mine came to my house a few years ago and said, maybe 10 years ago and said, you're gonna have to move, you know? And I says, I am, why? And she says, well, you know, better move now while you're still well than, you know, go find a place when you're sick. Well, I love my house. I love every room in my house. I take pictures of the rooms in my house while I'm sitting in the room of my house. <laughs> and I write, I have, I have, I have, I'm so busy with all my Zooms and my writing and my piano playing that, and I'm, people say to me, oh, you're always so busy. I wanted to call you, but you're not. I know you're always so busy. So, and I, I hope my health, because if I'm like you, if anything should happen to me, I'd be down the drain. I would be down the drain in a minute. All my, all my supposedly good thoughts would disappear. You know, all the lovely sayings that people have and what you said, you know, embrace your, you know, embrace your sickness or take your suffering and I'd be, <laughs> be a basket case. But I have a family that really loves me and the great grandchildren, 10, who I'm very close to. So that's my life situation at the moment. Oh, so, so good. So good. Thanks, Leah. Yeah, I don't tell other people, oh, isn't it wonderful that you have problems? That would be like, that's, <laughs> that's always the height of bad advice. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, um, Vicky, and then Abigail. I see other hands too. Um, I was really happy to hear you talk today, Rabbi. Um, certainly rings true for me, and I feel like I've always had this awareness that anything could change and that I should be grateful for the moment because I have two parents who are Holocaust survivors. Oh and God knows their lives changed quickly when they were children. But anyway, um, and then growing up, uh, when I was in my 20s, I took care of my grandmother who had dementia and I ended up having to put her into a nursing home and, and saw what life was like, you know, for her. And it was, uh, she made the best of it, you know, and we made the best of it together through music and art. She was an artist and a pianist like me. Um, and then uh, my mom got dementia and I went through it again with her just to watch her world get smaller and smaller. And um, again, we tried to make the best of it and be in the moment. And then a few years ago, um, I had a possible cancer scare. And in those five weeks that I had to wait to find out, um, I was just trying to stay calm. And I, the thing that just kept me going was just in this moment, I'm fine. And uh, ended up writing a song about that. Um, but really just being in the moment is all we have and to just try to remember that my husband says it every day you know look we have look what we have right now and just be grateful for what we have so yeah and cer certainly the pandemic has made me keep keep saying that mantra constantly mm -hmm. and um just trying to find ways to expand internally since we can't go out so much mm -hmm. to play my piano every day and to write and uh, sing and whatever we can find, paint to enjoy this moment. So I'm glad that you're okay in all of the uh, ice storm stuff and yeah. Mm, thank you. Yes, as Deborah said, what a beautiful sharing, Vicki. Yes, that's the muscle I wanna work on. Just what you're describing. Just wanna keep working at it. Abigail and then David. Oh, did I see Betty's hand too? Yeah, Abigail and then Betty and then David. So um, Max lost power and he has um, a terrible disability. It's called CRPS, where somebody walking by him will cause great pain because of the wind that is caused by just a subtle movement. So no power and he could see his breath. He was in a lot of pain. Uh, his girlfriend works at Big Lots, which has furniture. So after a while, he said, screw this. <laughs> and he went to Big Lots, and he sat on the Broy Hill. <laughs> and he made jokes all day. And he, he told me some of the jokes. He had me in stitches. So he just turned it around. And it was his anniversary with his girlfriend. And of course, there's been a lot of difficulty in the relationship because she works and he's so disabled and in so much pain. It's, it's really, it's really difficult. He bought her a plant, not roses, because they die soon. It was filled with buds. And he said, this plant's gonna last a long time. He says, and I'm like that bud. My health is just gonna take a while until it comes back. And I just thought, this guy is just so deep. He is. 
and he's evolving so beautifully. It, it hurts me to see him in so much pain, but I'm so gratified by our relationship. Um, through all of this and all of the emergencies and stuff that happens in my life, which there are, are many, um, I've said that illness is a spiritual practice. And I have made it my spiritual practice. And one of the things that um, Charlie Roth uh, has told me is you can either become bitter or better. And I play that in my mind all the time. And my mother always said, life is full of adjustments. So when things happen and I don't like them, I'm like, I can hear them. Life is full of adjustments. When I was little, I didn't like hearing that. Because you know? I would like her to say, oh, you poor thing. But she'd say, life's full of adjustments. And when she died, I went, well, Ma, I guess you really got adjusted. <laughs> I mean, she was okay with it. <laughs> she was dead. <laughs> um, and I also, uh, I always look for the blessing in everything. So the blessing was that um, a neighbor who I had not even never met in all these years, I met him, and he loaned me his cell phone, which allowed me to be rescued by my wonderful daughter and adorable grandson. Um, so that was a blessing. And also to find humor. You just got to make a joke out of, out of everything. Uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. And if you can find the humor in the moment, you get extra points. <laughs> I've got so much wisdom there. This is beautiful. That's what, I, this is what I wanted to do today. Cause we are, you know, I, we're a spiritual community that would suck Jewish congregation. And I need, I, I'm glad, I'm excited to hear all this. And Betty. Yeah. Um, I, okay. I, I had, oh wait, I had, sorry, Betty. Abigail wasn't quite done. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I was able to take a walk. I was very grateful, and I had read what you wrote, Jonathan. And when I read that you didn't have your beautiful shul to go to, I just started crying for you. And I thought, this is so sad. And and then I was walking, and I was thinking, as we get older, you know, like. I lost all my doctors, they all retired, and that was really hard. Then I, you know, losing friends, and on and on and on. And it's like, as I get older, there's just more sadness, and I just have to have a bigger container to hold the sadness and to love it, to honor it. Because you're only sad because you love what you lost. And it's better to have had the experience of the love. And that's always what's left over. Even though your friends aren't there, you still have the love. And, and you've been built up by the relationship that you had with them. And I also thought of the poem that I read a while ago. And if you'd like, I could read it again. You have to meet your new self every day. Would you like to hear it? OK, I'll get it. I read it to myself. <laughs> you have to meet your new self every day and treat him with the caring kindness 
you'd give to a child or a helpless animal who looks into your eyes innocently, hoping you will help them or at least not hurt them. You must remember you're not fully acquainted with what this new self needs in order to do what old you did. Greet him like a visitor from a foreign land whose manners are unfamiliar to you. Greet him with curiosity and acceptance, open to learning the ways a stranger does things. Each day, you'll meet a new person, like a UN ambassador, who's recognized by the Council of Foreign Relations and the Peacekeeping Forces. Each day, prepare to arrange your schedule to allow for travel delays, even though the train station is at your front door. Open it with the excitement of a new adventure, anxious to learn all about the new you. Thank you, Abigail. Um, people are writing beautiful things in the chat too. Thanks, Rob. And uh, now, Betty, it's your turn. Um, I'm going to let Stan introduce uh, his cousin. Go ahead. My cousin uh, was had kidney failure. He was down to, I guess, 20% kidney function. He'd also had some uh, bladder cancer and that type of thing. He was in his early 90s, and they wanted to put him on dialysis. And he said, I'm 90 some odd years old. Whatever time I've got, I don't really want to be tied to a machine. And he was on hospice care on and off for four years. He wrote a 15-minute comedy about his dying that was done as a show and he passed away the way he wanted to now the interesting thing about this cousin his name was hesh in philadelphia he was a jeweler and we were going to go meet him and i said what does hesh do i got betty's engagement ring from him and she said what does he do i said he's in a family business she said, a grocery? I said, well, a little more specialized than that. And, it, and I gave her, she said she would wear a cigar band. So I gave her a cigar box and on a cigar was the ring. Was the ring. This is the but ring. The, but the cousin, the, this particular cousin, he married into the family. And they got engaged at my bar mitzvah. Now, besides being a jeweler, he played the harmonica. And he used to go to old age homes and and play the harmonica and he would ask for requests and the people would be in wheelchairs and he would start playing whatever they requested. They would get out of their wheelchair and dance. Go Hesh. You know, Hesh. Fantastic guy, really was. Be, be like Hesh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good lesson. Yeah. I see David and Deborah and Diane all raise their hand, David. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, Rabbi Jonathan. Um, we tend to forget all, about all the things that we have that we take for granted. And the beauty of, I mean, the age that we're living in with the internet, with roads that we can get, you know, here and there with automobiles that we had nothing 
to do with that are available for us for all the beauty of the Hudson Valley that we can enjoy. And when we have a storm like this and we lose our power, um, we, we remember, we realize how fortunate, how privileged we are to have all of these things. And for me, um, at my core, I feel that be patient, be in balance, and see beauty. Use your powers to see beauty. And um, that's, that's at your core. We're brought into this world in a beautiful way. And there's so much beauty here. Um, I have on my table all these dried grasses. And I look at them and I, I wonder, how, how, does, how do these grasses know what to do? I mean, look at this. How does it know what, how to make this, this color, these little leaves, how to hold, hold it, how to keep it standing. And we're just surrounded by so much beauty and wonders. And I guess that when we have a storm like this, um, I just feel privileged that I can come back after the storm and have this, have so much available and be grateful. So that was what I had to say. Oh, thank you. This is so beautiful. It's like each of us sharing our credos about in such beautiful, eloquent way, whether it's, you know, be like Hesh or just what you said, David, about looking for beauty. Thank you, Deborah. So um, just what's happening here clarifies for me what um, is especially important to me in these times. And that's um, to actually feel how I'm not alone so if even when things are really hard, that feeling that we share our sadness or we share our frustration or our despair, it, it does something in my experience to lift me. Um, so, you know, I'm a therapist, so I sit with people in their hard things all day, and I can't even tell you how much I get from that about being mm, some kind of sacred, helpful part of a person's story. And I've had, um, fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of opportunity in these last couple of years to do that. So the other dimension of that is just what's happening here. Um, the way in which we 
support and love each other through this here on Zoom at Woodstock Jewish Congregation, how so many people have made it possible for us to do that. The way I have felt touched by people's story, by the hard things people go through. For me, it, that dimension takes the suffering and actually makes it kind of beautiful. And again, I'm not saying, oh, look how lucky you are, you're suffering, beautiful, but just showing up with some compassion for that. And I'm looking at faces here that we've been, that we've been in breakout rooms and shared each other's stories and supported and comforted one another. And what an amazing thing that is. So um, that's what I have to share. Thank you so much, Deborah. Mm -hmm. Diane? Hi. Uh, when we do the, the healing blessings mm -hmm. and we ask for healing for the people that we're thinking of, I always uh, think that, you know, what, what does that mean? Because not everybody's going to get better. Not everybody's going to get better. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's, I, I like to remind myself that healing doesn't necessarily mean returning to a health that we would like. It just does not mean that. And uh, learning to live with it is sometimes the best healing that you can have. Um, my mother's about to be 98 and uh, until two and a half years ago, really until the pandemic she really was in great shape but you know 98 is 98 and she's declining and she's not happy about it and she's always been I mean it's her personality traits that I think are making her miserable because she's always been a very I can do it an optimistic person and you know I think I'm the same but um so she she just can't stand the idea that she's declining and she's not going to improve and it's it's hard to watch and then sometimes she has surprised us tremendously by improving greatly but um the other thing i want to say is that uh well i i loved atul gawanda's book i think it's a really important book uh and one of the things is that we all have passed by many opportunities to die in good health. <laughs> Nobody wants to get sick and be miserable, right? But, well, if you pass up all the opportunities to die when you're relatively good, that's what happens. Anyway, that's yeah, not that. a comforting thought. My <laughs> comforting thoughts during the ice storm and other things, well, when my kids were little and they would say it wasn't fair, I used to say to them, right, the world is not fair. And if it was, you would be a lot worse off. Of course, they didn't like hearing that, but it's very true. And, uh, you know, when we have these inconveniences, I think I'm not a Syrian refugee. I'm not running from the Nazis, you know. <laughs> Get over it. So that's my my wisdom. Hey, no, that's another good one. Get over it. I like that very much, Diane. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's my mother, you know. <laughs> I know, but that's why 
you know, we couldn't tell our daughter when she was a teenager to get off the couch and just go to the damn dance class. But her grandmother could. <laughs> and she would listen. You know, my mom would say to her, get off the couch. And she would go, oh, okay. <laughs> Blaze. Thank you. Um, I love what you said, Diane, about life. If life were fair, you'd be a lot worse off. And, you know, I think of just little things like um, once a policeman stopped me because I was shining my brights in his car. And if it was fair, he would have given me a ticket. You know, I mean, I apologized and said how terrible that must have been for him. And I was sorry, but still. Anyway, um, I've been um, for the last while, I guess, exchanging daily blessings with a friend. We text each other our blessings for the day, for that day or the day before if we do it in the morning. And it's really great because I need to look for these things and pay attention. And the other thing about it that I've noticed is that a lot of time what is a blessing for her and for me is the opportunity to be available and present in some way for somebody else. And um, with my limited um, abilities to get around and go out and help people and do stuff and you know immunocompromised and all that, uh, it's a little bit more challenging to find ways to be of use and of service to people. And um, I find them. Um, and I think that, um, you know, I was, I was reading the, the Thich Nhat Hanh gift that he suggests, and that's just to say, my darling, I am here for you. And, uh, so I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thank you. My darling, I'm here for you. There's no single formula, but they all point in the same direction. Thank you. I'm going to sit for a minute. Ah, Joshua. It'll be so good to hear your voice. Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, sorry, my camera's not on and my mornings are slow. So, um, <clears throat> but I, but I can speak to the topic at hand. I've, um, I've had a lot of uh, my expectations foiled in my adult life um, between uh, family crises and financial crises and health crises and, uh, you know, alongside many blessings, uh, of course, but I've, I've had to practice what everyone's talking about uh, more than I would have expected. <laughs> Um, and, uh, 
And uh, I guess for me, there came a point where I noticed that I just kind of set up camp with the expectation of foiled expectation, uh, that nothing was going to go the way I'd hoped and that whatever <laughs> I had been counting on was, was going to fall apart in some way. And so uh, I've had this other challenge, which is uh, what to do when uh, things don't fall apart, what to do when, <laughs> when things seem to be just fine. And, and you know, I've, I've looked a lot at the uh, transgenerational trauma piece of this too, because I think many, if not most of us uh, are all living with that, uh, you know, these extreme, uh, wounds in our lineage where, you know, a parent or a grandparent, uh, you know, were running for their lives and that's so deeply embedded. So <clears throat> I found that uh, there's, it's an equal challenge to be able to accept that, uh, you know, while in the end all is lost on an ego level, um, in the process, it's, it's always a mixed bag and sometimes, uh, Sometimes I'm surprised to find things sort of, you know, working out. <laughs> and, uh, and that just feels so alien to me. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what wisdom there is in that. I guess, oh, no, you know, from, I'm going to say something about that. That's great. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that continues to be a lot of my work. Because at this point, I feel like, all right, God, bring it on. You know, what, what else you got for me? What else isn't going to work out? And, and we'll, and I don't often really know what to do with myself when there isn't a crisis or problem to solve or get over or accept. So that's, that's just what I wanted to share. And by the way, um, I'm very much on the mend for my most recent uh, um, health crisis. I'm, I'm not quite in remission, but um, it's getting better each day and it's just taking, <laughs> taking a little longer than uh, my doctors had hoped, but it is, it has been moving pretty consistently in the right direction. So just want to share that. Boy, I'm really grateful to know that, Josh. Yes, sometimes things work out. Sometimes life is great. And can we take that too? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I'm going to tell a, a favorite story of mine. Um, um, which uh, that, you know how, so, you know how everyone has little moments that like, then they become some, your sort of guideposts. And um, uh, just one sec. And uh, many years ago, while I was still in rabbinical school, I am very aware of and have taught, taught a lot and worked a lot about what it means to grow up with Jewish trauma which is the trauma of Judaism is that are we going to be allowed to live? You know, are we going to be allowed to exist? And so Judaism takes on a particular cast of like earnest seriousness. Um, and um, uh, I was, a friend of mine had, uh, had had a baby and asked me to do the baby naming. <clears throat> and we were sitting in a circle. This is California. This was really, uh, you know, really laid back. And so but there's a nice group of people in the circle. And each person takes the baby and says, welcome. 
and it's Jewish. So it's like, there's something very earnest about it. And then there was a lovely woman named Catherine who was French Canadian. I don't know what, a lovely person I was getting to know. And she was in the circle and she says, well, Eli, the kid's name is Eli, welcome aboard. And I thought to myself, I watched myself thinking, I thought, what does she think this is a pleasure cruise? <laughs> and I went, oh, maybe she does think it's a pleasure cruise that has storms occasionally, as opposed to me, you know, every silver lining has a cloud, you know, I'm a Jew, just sort of waiting for the shoe to drop and we'll enjoy our, we'll get the most out of it. We'll, you know, but something very, very sort of, there's something very like intense and earnest about that. You know, laughter through tears and all the good Jewish stuff. But she, pleasure, okay. That was one of those light bulb moments where we said, okay, there are other ways to view life. And so every now and then I say, so I tell that story to myself. Oh yeah, maybe life's a pleasure cruise. And there are gonna be rocky times, but there's also like, that doesn't have to be the baseline. So anyway, Joshua, that's what it made me think about. I hope that's, that, that resonates with you. Um, okay, it's two o'clock. Betty, your hand's up and then we'll conclude together. I, one of the things is uh, my, my dad had a philosophy. My father survived the programs in Russia and he told a story about being chased when the Bolsheviks were coming in and they had Cossacks coming through and attacking Jewish villages that he was running with a nephew who was two years old and they came to a fence. He threw the nephew over the fence. He jumped the fence so the guy on horseback couldn't catch them. And my father made it to this country and the nephew lived to be 90 years old. So, you know, there's that thing. My dad had a philosophy of, you know, you should live, Moses, you should live to be 120 years. And my father said, in 30 days, I don't want something to happen to you suddenly. So, you know. Well, Jewish humor is also part of the grace, the yes. beautiful part about being Jewish is that our, our perspective on the insecurity of life, yeah. we've turned into gold yeah. by, being, by making jokes together. Yeah. Um, and I love that. So that's why I'm suggesting uh, that uh, we could try on Life's a Pleasure Cruise and let's enjoy every moment and then we'll deal with the bad stuff when it comes along too. That's a whole other way to bring it on. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, all right. Well, I hope this has been a nourishing for you. It's certainly what I needed to do today. And since we've been talking about healing, let's also do our healing prayer with that line that Rob and I find so helpful, which is help us find the courage to make our lives a blessing. Mm 